0: Welcome to Inkwell, a podcast from Houston, Texas, for anyone engaged in the world of reading and writing. Inkwell is brought to you by Imprint, a nationally renowned literary arts nonprofit, which, since 1983, supports writers and conducts readings featuring the world's leading authors for adults and children, workshops for people of all ages and backgrounds, and other programs to promote creative writing and reading and Tintero Projects, which showcases the work of national and international Latinx and Latin American writers through readings and workshops. Inkwell hosts Jasmine and Lupe Mendez, writers, educators, activists, and founders of Tintero Projects, will interview emerging and established writers from across the nation and around the world with energy, wit, and fresh perspective on what it means to ink well in this day and age. And
1: welcome to another amazing episode of Inkwell. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Lupe Mendes.
2: Hi, I'm Jasmine Mendez, uh, your co-host.
1: And uh, this is Inkwell, a collaborative series done between Imprint and Tintero Projects. And so we have the joy of celebrating with a dear friend.
2: Who has recently been named a New York Times best-selling, best-selling author, author. And I believe it was on the Today Show.
1: Um, author, if you could please just say hi real quick. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so welcome to Inkwell. This is, I don't know what number episode. This is
2: the second episode of season four. No, this
1: is the third episode of oh, season
2: four. okay. Well.
1: Because. Thanks.
2: It's been a while. It that has, we, it's been a while since we has, interviewed
1: anybody. So. Uh, but So... Introductions of things. We've been busy with writer life and parenting and poet laureating and...
2: Book tours.
1: And book tours. You have your
2: poetry, like your poet laureateship tour. And I've been doing, I've started my book tour. So we've been traveling for that and also traveling just as a family. We went to Mexico this summer.
1: Mm-hmm. First that time was, we took loose. Yeah,
2: first time we took loose. That was a really good experience. She really enjoyed it. Jumping on the trampoline, getting on ATVs without my permission. Mm-hmm. And uh, enjoying in Rancho,
1: and, and, uh, that rancho life. And then feeding pigeons in the kiosco in the middle of town. So it was uh, a nice delving into other spaces that aren't home and adjusting to like, new space. I don't know. How was she when y'all went to the DR? Cause the DR
2: was different because we were there for a month in February and we were like at my parents' condo. And so it wasn't really like immersed in any kind of new culture was like, we're here. And we had pretty much all the same like comodidades, you know, like that we do when we're here. But I do think like being in the city of Santo Domingo, like because we've been, we were so much like super locked down for so long, just like in our little suburb house, like the like she was just overstimulated at times with like all the motoconchos and the horns beeping and honking and the people and the hustling and bustling. And so it was like a lot for her with all the, it was a lot for me, um, with all the people kind of like in the streets and stuff. But overall, I mean, she loved the beach in Santo Domingo, you know, in and, and, and Punta Cana and stuff. So there was that. Um, but I will say like both times, one of the things that kind of made me sad that I was thinking about, just especially now to, as we like, you know, as the world opens up for travel and as we feel more comfortable traveling, like how easy it is for like us to move spaces and to move, just be like, oh, one day I'm here in this country and the next day I'm in the next one or in this state or that state. And one of the things that made me sad was both times she met some new primos, both in the DR and in Mexico, some new cousins. And she was like, you know, are one day they going to get to see my room and come visit me? And it's like, you don't even know, like it just breaks my heart to be like, no, probably not. You know, like trying to find ways to like break it to her or or be like, or have that conversation. Because even at four, she's like thinking about it, you know, that she gets to see them and hang out with them and their dogs and in their house and their rooms. And when are they going to get to go to her house and her rooms? And it's like, They don't have that ability to, like, a free movement, you know?
1: Or even in terms of, like, I just, what is it, the the other day I either read or saw about the number of days it actually takes to get an appointment to get a visa.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just
1: ridiculous. The amount of what it means to, quote, unquote, legally migrate hmm. and then what hmm. does that mean and then how does that only well, The function? years
2: that it takes, right? Like I had cousins that solicited for just like a visa or like their residency when they were like eight or nine. You know, like my parents helped their parents like figure all this out and then it's not until they're like 20s that they even can like legally leave, you know, the DR or what have you.
1: Um And so thinking of that in terms of also like what does it mean to actually move between spaces whether documented or undocumented and how does that function? I keep thinking... In terms too, as we we talk about uh, solito, there were lots of moments as I was reading Javier's work. Um, now
2: you just gave away the author. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's okay. Oops. Um, leading into <laughs> leading our guest into today, our guest
1: today. Um, <laughs> thinking in terms of like like the age in which Javier moved um, this way, and then thinking m- like my father's story of how he moved into the U S and the number of times it took him to get towards the border. And then thinking about the ease in which that we now have the privilege to be able to move with our kid right. privilege or blessing or ability. And then my own understanding of what that means to traverse space. Um, because when my father finally was able to get residency, the ability for us to travel even by car as uncomfortable as it can be, Cause it took us exactly 24 hours from Galveston to just outside. Wadada. Like I I know the route, I know every town, I know every city I know by the road. Um, and, and what that means, like in the larger sense of like what you're able to do within your own lifespan,
2: um well and I think I took it for granted pretty much all my life, not just because I was born here, but like as a military brat, we were always moving. Like we were always just like one, you know, one year we're in Louisiana, the next we're in Florida, oh, the next we're that. in Germany. Yeah. You know? And then also we just as a family always took road trips and I just never th- like really thought about like how easy that was for us, you know, and some folks. You know, I used to teach students that, like, lived here and even, like, crossing state lines, they were like, no, there's no way I'm, like, ever even going to go to Louisiana or go to another state because they weren't documented or, you know, what have you. And they just didn't want to risk anything, you know. So just, like, even the ways in which, like, for me, right, that privilege that, that I had and just not even ever thinking about it, right. And then the opposite end of it is, like,
1: always thinking of what that means and, like, yeah. what does that do and what does that provide or not provide or what does that take away? Like, what does it limit? Um, And so a lot of these things coming into like our discussion for um, our author's visit, we'll be discussing Javier Zamora's um, amazing
2: best-selling memoir, memoir. Solito. (laughs) Um,
1: And so we'll take a quick break and then come back and then Javier will read a little bit of his work and then we'll get into some good discussion. Welcome to Inkwell. Woo!
2: the Inkwell podcast please subscribe uh review and rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts you can also check out more of our episodes on imprinthouston.org
1: we're back and this is our interview today with Javier Zamora he is a dear friend this is a memoir uh where a young poet tells the unforgettable story of his harrowing migration from El Salvador to the United States at the age of nine, it takes place over a time frame of roughly three months in which he dedicates this uh, amount of time to talk about instances, moments, uh, and the people that he traveled with. And so we're really grateful that he took the opportunity to hang out with us and do this podcast. And so uh, take it away, Jasmine.
2: New York Times best-selling author, Javier Zamora, was born in El Salvador in 1990. His father fled the country when Javier was one and his mother when he was about to turn five. Both his parents' migrations were caused by the U.S.-funded Salvadorian Civil War. When Javier was nine, he migrated through Guatemala, Mexico, and the Sonora Desert. His debut poetry collection, Unaccompanied, explores the impact of the war and immigration on his family. Javier Zamora has been a Stegner Fellow at Stanford and a Radcliffe Fellow at Harvard, and holds fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Poetry Foundation. Welcome, Javier. Yeah! Yeah.
3: Thank you, thank you. Gracias, Lupe and Jasmine, for having me, for hosting me. The first time I was in Houston, I stayed at your house. Oh, that's right. And this is the second time I'm ever in Houston, and now we're talking on this beautiful podcast. (laughs) So it means a lot, and I just wanted to say that. And. And I'll just read from the book, I guess, starts on El Salvador on April 6th of 1999, and now we are on April 29th, 1999, and we're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And this is from that section. I tried fighting sleep. Eventually, I gave in, but woke up when Chino nudged me. Bicho, bicho. Look, he said, louder, his breath smelling of cigarette smoke. Flying fish. Flying fish? Fish out of the water? Flying? Swimming in the air, like dragonflies, but bigger. More and more of them. They're running from dolphins, the mean coyote says loud. I can't believe it. Maybe I'm dreaming. I thought they were a myth. I saw them on TV, but didn't believe. They glide in the air for meters and meters. They ride the wind like bullets, like skinny balloons, more and more. We're gonna make it, I whisper. It's a good sign, Chino says. Ya la hicimos. People in the boat cheer. I don't know how long I've been asleep. Don't know how close we are to wherever we're going in Mexico. It's a good omen, some men shout. A good omen. People cheer and clap more. Then the fish disappear like nothing happened. We wait for them to come back. I look over at Carla, her smile bright white in the moonlight. Patricia smiles también, both of their eyes wide, glowing in the dark. We keep looking for the fish, but now the stars are up, the moon more than halfway over us, on the other side of the boat. I must have slept a long time. I look and look at the water. Nothing. Chino says, sleep, bicho, rest.
2: Hmm. Thank you. Yo. Thank you for that lovely reading. I can definitely see and I saw throughout um, how you managed to retain, I think, like your poetry voice and just like that poetry that that I think um that you're trained in, right? And that and that you come from. Um and so I'm just curious as to like how that transition has been for you, right? Like going into from writing poetry mostly to then like moving into memoir. And if it was like challenging, or what about it was either exciting or challenging for you?
3: Um, it was, I think, when we, I don't know, like we, we are writers because we fall in love with the act of writing. Um, and you fall in love and you never expect to publish. At least I didn't as a 17 year old when I first started writing poetry. And it's just fun. And it's this private, internal thing that eventually you you want to share with the world and then you share it but still I never dreamt of having a book out and then slowly people were like oh there's actually a school for poets it's called an MFA you can go (laughs) to the MFA and there's like this big poetry community and in the MFA and I guess I'm gonna I can curse, right? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm <laughs> yes, a talk, please. I'm a talk shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, for say. me, slowly, that joy hmm. of writing, that surprise, that love, was squished. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, like I'm doing this motion. I don't know, wrong, wrong, like, 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 yeah. twist it out. Right. Like you're like drying your clothes, and it, it the joy was not there. When I found prose, and I guess it's like more internal, we're talking also about my own mental health like journey. Like in poetry, I used to genuinely think that just writing poetry was going to fix me. Mm. And that's all that I needed to do. It was cheap therapy. And at times I was writing poetry and in therapy, but in hindsight, that wasn't a therapist for me. Mm. Um, and then I find prose or begin to write prose and I find that joy. Again, I'm talking about something very difficult yeah. in my life that I, I could only do because of my wife, um, because of Reiki, because of uh, meditation, which didn't stick, yoga. I like tried it all. And with this therapist who is Dominicana, um, she's a child immigrant herself. She came here when she was four and she's like an expert on child migrants. And so she and I just... She is the therapist for me.
2: Um, I might need her number. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried several. And <laughs> Wendy Carolina Franco. <laughs> okay.
3: That's her name. Uh, and then I think holding, having her hold my suffering and having my wife support me, and she's like a Reiki practitioner, so she would like practice Reiki on me. Having these two women really hold, make that space for me really, I think that is why prose became joyful and it became the act that was private. Nobody knew that I was writing this book.
2: we had an inkling, but only because but only we'd spoken <laughs> to Carolyn Forche before a couple years ago. And she had said, like, I keep telling Javier yeah. <laughs> to write. Yeah.
3: yeah, and eventually, like, it happened. It was a private thing. I didn't feel that there was an expectation, mm. which I think I'm talking about, like, the expectation yeah. and the poetry biz. Yes. How, like, yeah. poets, cool. how we talk about yeah. it. And that has really weighed me down. Mm. And, yeah. yeah. And, so, and so this prose, nobody knew me. It's just freeing. Um And it was difficult, even though I'm writing about something very difficult, I found the joy and it was freeing, and it was like that first falling in love with poetry.
2: Once Aww, again. I love yeah. that. I
1: love that. And thank you for A for being willing to do this interview and hanging out with us again. It's good to see you. blessed always. The question I had was in in writing and pulling this together. Was this a way that you were able to write this in a sequence or did like you write parts that were chunked differently? Like how did, how did the, not production, right? Cause that's, I think of like the book cover and like what, how yeah, long no. it's going to, but like the actual writing process, the narrative
2: of it. And, yeah. Like okay.
1: how did, did it, did it pop up? As memories sprung together or did it, did you plan it out? Did you think through?
2: Are you a plotter or a pantser? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I uh, um,
3: in a lot of ways, that's a great question to follow up from the poetry. The metaphor that I like to use is that my book of poems gave me the framework of the house. Mm. Mm. It built, like I knew what the house looked like, yeah. but it was only the beams right. and like the wood, like the frame. And I could see if the material for that house, that is this book, um, Solito, I could see the rug, the The G rocks, the the brick, the roof. It was just there. It was the material. But I didn't have the tools yet to put it together. And there are chapters in this book, Solito, in my memoir, that really came out of a poem, like a lot of poems. And I think we're also talking about Trauma. And where I was in my abilities to really look beyond the tip of the iceberg. And this is not a diss on poetry. It's just a diss on my own mental health growth. I could not go deeper than the poems at that time. Mm. And we're talking about privilege. I was undocumented, uh, still undocumented when I began to write poetry. I didn't, which I couldn't, I hadn't gone back to El Salvador. I didn't have like a health insurance. I still don't, (laughs) but now I can't (laughs) afford my my therapist. We've worked out a deal. But all these things that didn't allow me to really go deep, all I could do was write a poem. Another metaphor is like I could only fill enough space on the page. I couldn't fill it. Like pros does, yeah, and and so I had all these snapshots of very traumatic moments that where I knew and I could build around. And for example, like some border scenes uh, that also appear in in unaccompanied, my book of poems, and also this scene in on a dirt road aside of Oaxaca, which also happens, right? right, And so that is that is where I was. With my therapist, my wife, et cetera, et cetera, then I could build around those. It like it gave the poems gave me markers on this timeline, and the very first full blown pages that I ever wrote in prose were the boat scene, because in, in Unaccompanied I didn't really talk about what happened in Guatemala. I didn't talk about what happened in Mexico. I only kind of focused on the US-Mexico border. Mm. And even that, like I didn't know where exactly it was, where it happened, when it happened, and then unlocking a time frame for myself. Like I knew when I entered and saw my parents, June 11th, 1999. I knew when I left El Salvador, April 6th, 1999. And so that really then became the timeline, point A to point Z. And then all these poems like were like M like J and then right, all right, I had to right. do was fill them, mm-hmm. and so that's that's how the book got.
2: Yeah, because that definitely was one of my questions of like what you know they both both books allude to this idea of like aloneness right solito and unaccompanied like mm-hmm. you're you're alone sort of on this journey but thinking about right like what did poetry allow you to do that prose didn't and vice versa and I mean you kind of already answered that but. Um yeah, it was really fascinating to me to see just like the relationships that were that were built. Like I f- I found myself so much looking at and thinking about everything that young Javier like left behind. Like one of the most like touching scenes to me is when as a little boy, right, you're like giving away your toys to like your best friends. But they were also, interesting enough, like symbols of like Americanness. And so much of that is there. And I just wanted to just, like think like. To to have you talk a little bit about that, right, like as a kid growing up in Salvador, thinking about the United States and like all of these things, like these superhero things that are symbols of the United States and kind of like, yeah, I don't know, just your relationship to that and and if that's changed, right, since you've lived here now (laughs) and thinking about that.
3: As a kid in El Salvador, I guess the question was, my dad left me to this country. When I was one, my mom left me when I was five to this same country. This country must be the best country (laughs) in the world Mm -hmm. in order for them to leave their one and only child behind. And where can I find that country? Full House, Mm -hmm. Baywatch, Friends, um, Saved by the Bell, 90210. Those were the shows that I loved and, and shows that I thought was every... Every kid right. every That's every person America. living like, everybody lives I, that lives like is this. America. everybody lives like this. Like yeah. it is everybody yeah, lives yeah, like yeah. this. Yeah. To the point that I was so certain that everybody lived like that mm-hmm. that I never asked my parents.
0: Hmm. What is an
3: apartment like. or like what is, I had yeah. no idea what an apartment was. Right. Or what is an apartment complex? What you don't have a house? Like in the in the very first pages I genuinely thought that my right. parents had a white pickup fence, a <laughs> lawn. They had a swimming pool in the back. They had a two-story house, a huge TV, perhaps a waterbed. And, <laughs> a water <bed. laughs> and And not only that, they were growing mangoes and aguacates and papayas, all the same flora and fauna that grew grows in El Salvador, of course, grew in, in, in the United States as well. And there's snow everywhere snow as well. Everywhere. Like I was really looking forward to snow. So the, these ideas that... As a kid, I genuinely believed everything in the U.S. is good. And I had no conception of papers or I... The logistics of The things. logistics of yeah. things. Like a lot of these kids, kids in my, in my school, their parents aren't here. But they don't want to come back. I don't know why they don't come back. But these kids are also leaving. Some of them have left on a plane. I don't know how others just left in a car with a stranger. But then weeks later they're over there and sending pictures with their parents. So it's going to be easy. I'm going to make it too, but I'm not going to be like them. I'm, I am i am going to come back. I'm just going to go over there. I'm leaving on in April, but by Christmas I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring everybody parents and I'm going to be with my grandma again. So some, some time in the book, I also had this realizations like, oh, I'm going to see my parents. I'm going to miss my grandma, Mali, Lupe, my pets, the toys that I cherished so much. Um, the walking T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Yeah. That was like my most prized yeah. possession. <laughs> and I'm not going to see that toy again for I don't know how long. And yeah. Speaking
1: of symbols and ideas was there anything that either caught you off guard or surprised you in terms of like things and symbols and images that came from unaccompanied that traversed into uh solito? Was there anything that like, you're like, yeah, there's the the full through line, like the, and you already partially spoke to the idea of like the building beams and the, the foreplan, the blueprint being the poetry collection and then everything that's within it. Uh, the innards being the, this memoir was there anything that like surprised you as like threads that still continued
3: paula that little lizard and on a i talk about her and on a dirt road outside of oaxaca and paula also proves one of many superpowers that this little kid meaning me this nine-year-old used in order to survive and and my like this is the biggest part of unlocking what how I survived which is many tools and one of them is dissonance yeah. or i detached myself mm-hmm. from the horror from the moment of the guns the first time i had a gun pointed at me and this fear and i was face down on the dirt and instead of focusing on that This lizard that is real, I focused on. And I try, attempt to to grasp that moment in poetry. And then that was the second chapter that I wrote. From that poem, I stretched this scene, the exact same scene. And Paula, to me, is the key. The ledgeprint to that. Yeah, that unlocked everything as a symbol. Um, Another. I guess not symbol, but like as a metaphor, again, I, I guess in the poetry, I only talk about Chino.
1: Oh uh, yeah. And, he, that's
3: right. The, the book of poems is 88 pages long. He appears in two of them, and how I describe him is perhaps the worst moment of his life. He's getting kicked by border patrol, and I name him, and I dedicate the poem to him. but in in a way. Again, my trauma was at that point that I, I, I thought that I was honoring him, but at the same time, I was erasing everybody else around. Mm. And Chino reminded me of Patricia, Carla, Marcelo, Chele, Don Dago, Marta, and every other person that in their own way helped me get here and were with me. And so Chino is the Paula of moving, of transitioning from one uh, place to the other. And I just wanted to really honor all these other people and not only flatten them like I, I feel like I did flatten Chino. I am thanking him in that poem, but I'm still only freezing him in that moment in time, which is perhaps the, one of the, the lowest points of his life. And so I wanted to fill him and all the people Around that helped me survive Fill in that picture, fill yeah. in the larger the larger.
1: Well engineers. yeah, just
2: show them as like in their full humanity Right, like not yeah. just like their lowest Or their, their worst trauma. Yeah, and their yeah. trauma, not have them defined by their suffering But mm-hmm. I also think that yeah. speaks
1: to like Even as a growing artist And growing writers Like we, we are able to write the things that we're able to write As we've been developing And doing that Yeah, work, like right? as we
2: grow like, as people mm-hmm. Then our writing changes and grows And has a different you know,
3: understanding
1: as well. Best I, case scenario. Some
2: yeah. of us don't grow. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Some, some folks don't, some right? Some folks do not grow. Yeah.
1: One of the other things that caught my attention, um, we kind of talked about this earlier. I loved all the moments that you you like pin us into that time frame with references to shows and telenovelas and foods, like things that I know very well but then you also gravitate to like the music of the moment. And I found myself like singing Los Buquis and singing (laughs) Bronco. And it dawned on me to ask like how much of all of these things served you then as markers? Like were these things that you were already thinking of or did this come out of the process through the writing? And like, did you have to research this and were you like, no, that was the song I was listening to at that moment when that thing was happening.
3: I, I your question has reminded me of one of, so I I get here when I'm nine, I keep this story hidden to myself and everybody until I'm 17. When I start writing poetry, like poetry is also how I began to understand what it means to grow up undocumented, hmm. which is, there's a lot of silence around that. But In those from 9 to 17, and then up until I begin writing solito when I'm 29, there are different, there are songs, there are scenes in movies, there are books that trigger me. And they trigger me in a way that they remind me of something that I did not want to talk about. But then once once I'm with my therapist and my wife's practicing Reiki, I'm on this healing path, whatever, I can better access those same moments. For example, uh, near the end of *Itu Mama También, um, there's uh, Tu Cárcel, that famous, like even this beautiful shot. So I had an inkling that I knew that beach. You know, they're like hanging out in this beautiful beach. A filmmaker friend told me that that beach is... In this little wildlife stretch of Oaxaca and Chiapas, mm. which is a beach that perhaps is the beach that I landed in, in this same on the boats from coming from Oaxaca. The body remembers. No, the body yeah. remembers. Yeah, yeah. The body, yeah. Yeah. If, like, the body keeps
2: memory, the, the score. Body can't. Yeah,
1: body bien como dicen el el golpe avisa.
3: yeah. And and so that song was from the same era as well. Correct. Um, every time I listened to Bronco, like Bronco was big in El Salvador. Yeah. And I grew up like listening to Bronco. They were on Sábado Gigante. Uh, and and like Bronco is one of the bands that I couldn't listen to because it, I was like put back there. Los Temerarios, same thing. Like Ooh. Patricia loved Los Temerarios. And we were like making this journey as this, I think their third album. Like I yeah. think it, they came out in like 1999 was playing at every radio station across oh, wow. three different countries. It's and, a staple. Yeah, it's a fucking staple. And, and so I couldn't listen to Los Temerarios. And it's funny because all these songs, you go to like... Anywhere. Where all the immigrants hang out cool. and like get drunk, like in the in la, yeah. the ¿Cómo se llama esa cosa? La la, la rockera. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Like, la you la la like cola, put yeah. a coin. It's the Yeah, it, la, la yeah you they're all in, in that, and in you see, box, yeah. and you see what these songs mean to us. Is like somebody like there's always a dude by himself with a bucket of beers, just like putting, trying to put a dollar bill in there, and like crying it out. Because these are the only times that we're allowed to, to feel do these things. And to do these things. And like that that is the soundtrack. And of course, it they they're all of them are mostly men. And that's on purpose. There's only one song that's like uh, by Villarreal. Oh La, La Grupo Necita, Limite. El Grupo yeah, Limite. Alicia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alicia Villarreal. That's the only one. And I created this playlist on purpose. Like that that is like because that is what us patriarchal Latinos are taught to, to do to do and to like listen. The
1: image, like, you're yeah. right, like the image of anybody from a space. And if they've had to leave to find a new space, there's always this like internal heartbreak that none of, not a single one of them will share in public. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Every mariachi, every ranchera, every slow beat song that's written by a guy, like there's another guy sitting at a bar with a couple of beers, a bunch of quarters, the Rocola and like these tunes playing. And that's like, I, I read through those and I was like, that is, that is every man. But then also I was like, damn. And Javier's nine, like oh, yeah. doing and seeing these things. You internalize
3: all this. Yeah, yeah. It stays with you. Even, like, all the, the telenovelas that, like, I also came up with. Luz Clarita. Luz Clarita.
2: Like, I know. I just like, like, almost died when yeah. I read that. I was like, oh, I'm so dated. I, was like, I remember. <laughs> but it's like, the, I, I heard the song. Luz uh, Clarita. Yeah. Luz I was Clarita. like, oh, my God. We
3: right. call that Luz Caquita. Uh, <laughs> Luz Caquita.
2: <laughs> Muchacho. I love it. <laughs>
3: uh, and, like, Dos Mujeres Un Camino.
0: Yeah. Dos Mujeres. You know, like,
3: <laughs> one of them taught me to, like, you know, colorism mm-hmm. and the other one taught me that it's okay to cheat because yeah. you're you're gonna you're gonna find love <laughs> right. <laughs> that's yeah. right away and it's like that's like i want to write about like an essay about this fucking because it's about nafta it it's is. un trailero who lives in san diego who goes to tijuana and he has like a partner in the states and a partner mm-hmm. in mexico and it's like the cross border crossing uh, shit. yeah
1: On the next episode. (laughs) But it's also, yeah, it's also like the undertones, too. And not that we're digressing to something else, but like the undertones, too, of what we live with. about like, what does heartbreak look like in the lives of what's gendered? But then also like the end of the telenovela in Latinidad is always someone getting married. And like happily ever after family united, este lo otro. And and somebody then,
3: dying in a car crash. Right. <laughs> like somebody dying in a car crash <laughs> like, sort
1: poison, or like, or poison shot. or <laughs> slapped 12 times. And it's all those, those elements too.
2: Like, man, yeah, that yes. shape and like kind of. They're supposed to they kind of reflect back, but they're also like telling us how to be, you know, X, Y, and Z, or how to live or what to feel, or you know, even when you're nine as a little kid, you're
3: absorbing all this. Yeah, you
2: absorb it and you internalize it and you move forward with it. Yeah, yeah. I know um, just going back to a little bit, because I'm really always interested just in people's influences. And I know before when we talked some million years ago when you were here, or I just I've heard you say in the past that you are a student of June Jordan. As poetry, who do, you, who do you see yourself being a student of when it comes to like prose and memoir? Um,
3: it's interesting because uh, I get asked uh, oh, or the comment, like, yeah. like you began to interview, yeah. oh, you're, you're, you, I, like it reads in a poetic way. Right, right. <laughs> and I think it does because I, I am still a of student course. of June Jordan yeah. and her idea of uh, poetry for the people is that minimum words, maximum impact. So I've always... I've carried that through, and also a student of Yusef Komanyaka, who I had the privilege. I never met June Jordan, but I had a chance to study with uh, Yusef Komanyaka, and his whole idea was um, the ear is the best editor. And so in the writing of this book, I was always thinking about them and reading part of the editing work was also reading the book out loud. And that's what Yusuf taught me. And the third would be Roque Dalton, who is a Salvadoran poet, who is the first person that I saw write in Caliche, which is our slang, and not write Spanish, trying to impress the Spaniards, mm-hmm. but trying to uh, impress the people. And he cursed a lot, and which is why I love him. His super savvy thing, which is I. I think that's why I use a lot of slang, and I think I will always curse in whatever I write in any genre. So those are like my three big figures that I don't think they're uh, genre less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're just gonna be with me forever. It doesn't matter. That's also a very international thing. I think in the United States we yeah. want to we want to like no yeah everything. what genre is this yeah.
2: and da, da, da. yeah yeah no I hundred percent agree. I think that as I don't know, I always say that as like Latinos, black people, like people of color, people outside, <laughs> right, who have come from other traditions of, of storytelling. You know, I always say like we tell stories with our whole body, with our whole selves and like that takes whatever form, form genre it's going to take, yeah, gonna take right? Like might be poetry, might be prose, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be a mix, you know, um, just whatever it takes to tell the story in the best way possible. Yeah. And, and
3: out of those three people, they all write other things than poetry. Yeah. Like yeah. Yusuf has written like opera librettos mm-hmm. you know? and June has a beautiful memoir and also has writing about architecture mm-hmm. and Roque D'Arton wrote a memoir and somebody's autobiography as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like gen- genre, like gender, doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> doesn't yeah. matter yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a capitalist tool to help you find your books.
2: <laughs> one of the things, too, At speaking of Noble. just kind of playing with, with how you wrote stuff that kind of reminded me a little bit of one of Rigoberto Gonzalez's, um, reminded me of his book, Butterfly Boy and kind of how he wrote dialogue, um, with you. Um, I noticed that you put the, the inverted, um, exclamation point and question mark when, and it took me like a, like almost over a chapter and a half to like realize and to even notice that you were doing it. But then I picked up on like, oh, this was actually split, like, his the way to show that it was in Spanish, I guess, right? Um, but what kind of made you decide to do that, or was that like an editor? Or was that just fully your I, undertaking?
3: From the moment I started writing poetry, I do this in unaccompanied too, and I think it's it's just how I write. Like, I, uh, I want some sort of Spanish grammar to carry over to kind of signal, signal yeah. that I'm not. That I am different, mm. and that I think in in two countries, mm. um, and also the hardest thing of being in school and trying to learn English and reading out loud in fourth grade was not having that marker in Spanish. The yeah. question mark and the exclamation point it announces it, yeah, <laughs> it announces itself, yeah. so when you're reading, you know when to shift, right. and I remember having these. It was hard for me to read in English one because I was just learning English. But then it was hard to get to a point at the end of a sentence and be like, question mark? <laughs>
2: is this the inflection?
3: Yeah, is this, is this yeah. a question? No shit, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, no, I, And I, I, I think that's aggressive yeah. in the English language. So yeah. I just want to, you know, nice.
0: announce it yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's so smart because <laughs> I just, I haven't thought about, I mean, because English is my second language, I had... I had always like if you're going to speak and if it's a shout you just shout it and if it's a question the inflection's at the end.
2: Right cuz we but you you say like me like I can say English is my second language but like I pretty I mean I learned English at 4 so basically it's still basically my first language and it's just that at home we only spoke Spanish but I didn't, you know. I
1: it wasn't I think I must have been like 8 or 9 when cuz I would always read sentences off like not even appropriately. And then I was like, oh, there's, and then the two was like, inflection, inflection, always raise your voice when you're asking a question. I was like, what are you talking about? But I was like, oh. And give then me I map. Give me a
3: road me like yeah, that. yeah. Like, yeah. give
1: me the thing that, and to, but no, yeah, like thinking about it now and all well, that makes correct. See, smartness, things. Um, this book is brilliant. The The energy behind all of it. Um, the moments that you capture, so well-crafted.
0: How long did
2: it take you to write it?
3: It's a complicated answer. (laughs) Um, I think I've been trying to write this since I was 17 and started writing poetry. Another more accurate, or not accurate, but just a different type of answer, I started writing this actively in April of 2020. No, April 2019. And I finished the first unedited draft May 2021, mm. so I can't do math like two years, <laughs> two years, <laughs> two 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 plus years, two yeah.
1: plus years. Yeah. 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 Master of Fine Arts and Creative Math.
2: Figure
1: it out. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna take a quick break.
2: Come back for our lightning round questions.
1: I don't have nothing else to say because Jasmine said <laughs> no it all. I can say. Just hang tight, Javier. Uh, <laughs> we we love it you.
2: Cannot, cannot. <laughs> <laughs> Joining the Inkwell podcast, please subscribe, uh review and rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also check out more of our episodes on imprinthouston.org. And
1: we're back. This is the lightning These are the hard-hitting questions. These are the important Relampo. questions. Yeah. Um, you
2: have about 15 seconds to respond with the first answer that comes to mind. Wow,
1: we've even shortened it. So you whatever pops into your head, you bust out with the answer and then move on. There are 10 questions total.
2: Are there 10? Because I have 6 here. How many do you, How many <laughs> <laughs> to you. I have
3: seven. What is your sign,
2: Jasper? <laughs> I'm a Scorpio. So, oh, yes.
1: <laughs> I'm
3: also a Scorpio. October or November? <laughs> November.
2: November. Right. Early
1: November. Both. both November? Both yeah. early November. Nice. Wow. Uh, two Scorpios. I
2: don't know my rising though. I have to figure these things mm-hmm.
1: out. I don't. I, don't I just know the child's a Gemini. And so Ooh, house, air. Yeah. Yo, I'm Aquarius.
3: Ooh,
1: baby. Yeah. Uh smart. okay. First thoughts that come out of your head. We'll give you the question. You have 50 seconds. 50. Fifteen. 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 Did oh, okay. I say quince? Quince. You have quince segundos. Jasmine, you ready to go?
3: Yep. Bust out.
2: Maduros o fritos? Tostones.
3: Fritos. Okay. No, maduros. Maduros. Si? Si? Well, but, but, yeah, because I call them platanos fritos. Uh, okay. Ah, yeah. okay. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, right. go. Keep
2: going. All right, keep going. Favorite place your writing has taken you?
3: Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> nice.
2: Uh, if you could meet any writer, dead or alive, who would it be?
3: June Jordan. Mm-hmm.
2: Favorite soccer player?
3: Ooh, of all time? Sure. Maradona.
2: Favorite soccer team?
3: Real Madrid.
2: Favorite thing about being a newlywed?
3: Ooh. <laughs> uh, sleeping in bed and waking up with the person that I love.
2: Oh, <laughs> That yeah, I was gonna say after 17 years. <laughs> no, <was>
1: like, <laughs> Sleeping in the bed by myself. Sleeping in hey, the bed hey, by myself. No, that's fine. No, we're not gonna ruin that. You're, that's an amazing answer. Everybody just, just enjoy that yes, answer. So sweet. So uh, how sweet. many? Do you got anymore? Go for it. No, okay. Um, favorite style of beans. Sopa.
3: Sopa, everybody. Um, in writing a book, paper or computer? Uh, computer, sadly. It changed. It changed. It, it, was, it was paper for poetry and it's prose. I mean, it's computer for the prose. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: If you were to write a poem right now, it'd be on paper. On paper first, yeah. Um,
3: most expensive thing you bought last month? Last month? Probably <laughs> treated myself to oysters and, and a bottle of wine. To yeah, whole
1: oh, uh, self-care. No. Um, <laughs> yeah.
3: When reading,
1: do you make notes in the book in pencil or in pen?
3: Ooh, I don't make notes.
2: I was gonna say, how do you uh, know that he makes notes? Some people don't make notes. Yeah, oh.
3: I like the most. I do is do a little with a pen, like a little check mark. If I really love a passage, I check mark it. That's it. That's
1: that's a note. And, I just want to. And
3: it. and if not, like the check mark has to be like a really dope passage. And I just doggy ear. If if like I want to come back to that page, I like I try to keep it without anything. But that means so if son. there's a pen, that means that's, that's it. That's fired. the shit. Yeah.
1: But you fold pages. In yeah. The
3: book. Yeah.
2: He dog-eared You fold whole ass pages. That's in not. Half, that's,
1: oh which, no! Like,
3: I doggy
2: ear. De- yeah. You're no, like I like doggy Destroying the book when yeah, you do and that. I doggy ear the bottom.
3: Oh. not the top because it's, it's harder to see the bottom mm-hmm. to like keep the see you're the only yeah. person
2: that does a crazy book by folding all right hour. so the new host
3: of <laughs> the new host of Inkwell is fucking
1: Javier <laughs> and Jasmine <laughs> <laughs> fuck Rupert let's go I use
2: bookmarks and sticky notes to like mark my yeah. th- okay
1: so I'm the crass the, anyways. I do which it saying,
2: has
3: changed like I, I would I would 100%. underline and I would like fold mm-hmm. pages and now you know I
2: try to keep these. they integrity. cost money they cost money yeah, right <laughs>
1: All right. So the hate on Rupa show. Um, (laughs) um,
3: Next place you would like to visit. In the world. Yeah. Hmm. This came to mind, but I've never thought this first thought was Germany, but I don't want to go to Germany. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let me think on that. Probably somewhere. In the Southern Hemisphere. I've never been in the Southern Hemisphere. Hmm. Uh, I want to say perhaps... mm, Like Papua New Guinea. Oh. I like
1: birds. (laughs) That's good stuff. Um, An album that still lingers in your body.
0: Hmm.
3: Well, uh, a lot of them. Uh, Bronco, first thought that came to mind, but not really. Um, I write... To a lot of Radiohead.
2: Sadly. Oh, wow.
3: Sad shit. So, yeah, I was yeah, going to say that really shit. Really that's good, though. Yeah, they're OK, computer um, uh, and the bands, and they're in rainbows. Those three helped me write both of my books. Oh,
1: that's good. Yeah, that's good. It's weird. Uh, and the last one, what are you currently reading?
3: Well, actually, I, I take that back. Soda Stereo, also. Ooh, Soda Stereo's papa. MTV Unplugged.
1: Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah.
3: Solid fucking album. album. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I haven't thought about that album before.
1: Um, what are you currently reading?
3: Uh, I'm supposed to be reading um, a forthcoming book. It's in the vein of We the Animals uh, cool. by Justin Torres. And it's slim. And it's a We the Animals that takes place in L.A., but it's about Iranians in L.A.
0: Dope. Yeah. Dope. Um, And that.
2: Favorite El Salvadorian dish?
0: Hmm. Hmm.
3: Sopa de frijoles monos, mm. which I hadn't. I had like a bite of something that's not sopa or frijoles, and it reminded me okay. of that. Mm. And this keeps happening where like the biggest compliment in anything. It's if you or something reminds me of home, of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And this, I've, what what the fuck was it? I don't I don't even know what the fuck it was. But it reminded me of sopa de frijoles monos, which I hadn't thought about in years. So I guess that's my favorite dish. Sweet. I don't know. Go.
0: That's good stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: ladies and gentlemen, that's our episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Whee! Yay.
3: Friend,
0: if you Javier like it with our dear
3: friend, two Scorpios. Ed. You should call it a Scorpio podcast.
2: <laughs> a Scorpio, Scorpio <laughs> podcast.
3: Scorpios and an Aquarius.
2: Alacran.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> my dad's nickname. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. Right. Um, if you
1: happen to like this episode, please uh, check out the other three seasons and the other two episodes and uh, give it a like. Share.
2: Share. Teach us in your class.
1: And teach us in your class. Fuck
0: yeah. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right. no, I keep not <laughs> to no, 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 no. Just bleep no, those just parts like, out. Just, just put the mute <laughs> button on I mean, those parts.
2: Know. Thank you, Javier, for joining you, us Javier. today.
1: Good and uh, hopefully, vemos. you'll
2: be
0: here sooner rather than later again.
1: So, yeah. And nos vemos pronto. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Inkwell, a collaboration between Tentero Projects and Imprint, based in Houston, Texas. Inkwell is hosted by Jasmine and Lupe Mendez of Tintero Projects, produced by Krupa Parikh and Rich Levy of Imprint, and recorded, engineered, and edited by 3Wire Creative. Inkwell is made possible by Houston Endowment, the Jerry C. Deering Family Foundation, the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance, the Texas Commission on the Arts, and Imprint's other generous supporters. For more information on Inkwell, visit ImprintHouston.org. To offer feedback on this and future episodes, email info at imprinthouston.org. We also invite listeners near and far to attend our readings and workshops in person and online. Until next time, keep reading and keep writing.